0: he is strong he is powerful he is dr. James Richardson he is the founder of premium Growth solutions a strategic planning consultancy for early-stage consumer packaged goods brands he's a best-selling author and a podcast host I'm excited to have you on James tell us a little bit about your personal life some more about your work and why you do what you do
1: well thanks for having me on George yeah so I'm a I'm a cultural anthropologist by training and i left academia quickly uh just as i was getting started uh right after i got my degree about 20 years ago and i i had to make a decision to get into something that would yield uh, an income <laughs> that wasn't consisting of nine month revolving visiting teaching jobs mm which I think grocery store workers have better job security. (laughs) So I, I really, um, I was lost, I'll be honest, but I got into market research. I came into business kind of through the back door and, um, what I do now I'm skipping a few thousand steps, but what I do now is work with some of the fastest growing consumer brands that you haven't heard of yet, but will soon. Um, to help optimize their growth, especially those that are uh, in physical brick and mortar retail. Um, although I do have D2C clients as well. So, uh, other than my professional, uh, what do you call it, CV that I just gave you, I'm a, I'm a landscape photographer in my free time and I mountain bike here in, in Arizona.
0: Nice. Well, I appreciate that. James, I, re, I didn't realize you were here in, in Arizona. We probably could have done this in person then. Phoenix, I mean, I, I mean, <laughs> but then as we're having this conversation on December 21st, we probably should not be having this conversation yeah. in person. So it's all for the best that we're doing it remotely. All right. So, I, well, b- before we get into what you're doing today, I mean, it's no small feat to to go through all the different hoops you have to jump through to become a doctor in something, and to become a doctor in cultural anthropology. But I, I I'm I'm I don't know if I'm fond of telling people like, well, how'd you get into what you're doing? It was totally by accident. So I had no idea what financial people did. Was it a function of you didn't really know what the actual career would look like?
1: I no, I, I I'll be honest. I I wanted to be a professor. Uh and uh this is in the preface to my book as well. I wanted to be a a professor of anything. And I declared that goal <laughs> to the family at the age of 16. So culture anthropology, why I chose that has more to do with some things that happened in college with my, with my roommates who are international students. Um, and, uh, so I, that's where I want, I really, and I do have a passion for studying human behavior. So, and that, that hasn't gone away. Um, and I think part of it is that I'm, I'm a bit of a misfit myself. Uh, always socially awkward. I, I don't necessarily appear that way anymore because I've spent a lot of time learning how to perform like a normal person. But I don't. Um, and a, and a lot of therapy. But I, I, if you'd met me in high school, I was I was the quintessential nerd sort of. Um, I'm much better looking than the average geek, though, so that always confused people. Um, so especially especially the female kind.
0: Well, fair enough. <laughs> well, I think that certainly having a good understanding of of our 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 fellow humans, our fellow earthlings, is is nothing but a positive thing. So I'm sure that it serves you very well, or serves you some point uh, in, in in what you're doing now. So it does. It does. Yeah. Nope, give me we'll a run- yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, let's just jump right in. um Give me a rundown of 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 what it is that you actually do.
1: So I work with. Like I said, fast-growing consumer brands, food, beverage, beauty, personal care, and I work with them on their uh, growth planning. Um, and in the world that I'm in, which is a world of widgets, you do have to sort of plan your business a couple of years out because you have to do this thing called manufacture stuff. Mm. <laughs> so it's like there are lead times, they call them, and and that gives you uh, a reason to really deeply think as to what in God's name am I doing um, because of the upfront costs of paying for manufactured goods, right? So I help people specifically with exponential growth strategy. So I wrote a book called Ramping Your Brand about a year ago, and that was based on some work I did at the prior consulting firm where I was an executive. And we had uncovered through some special projects that got funded sort of at the corporate strategy level by uh, Hershey's and Coca-Cola in two different projects. We got uh, funded to really become experts in what is it that early stage consumer brands have in common that allows them to come from nowhere without a lot of industry experience and not the assets of a major corporation uh, like Kraft or General Mills or Coca-Cola and get to hundred million and beyond and actually disrupt the market uh, and make bankers a lot of money, to be honest, <laughs> and the founders. So, you know, they, at the time, the big companies were very concerned about their path- anemic growth rate, and it was really quite bad until this pandemic, um, which honestly is still a blip because <laughs> next year they'll be crying in their, over their milk about the growth rate because it won't move. <laughs> so right. the, the year over year in 2021 will be yet again bad, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so they'll be back to the same song, and and they meanwhile like brands like Kind Bar and Skinny Pop and Vita Coco and um, Vitamin Water are just blazing out of nowhere, right? And they're they're coming out of nowhere with people who sort of really aren't even pros. Driving the ship, Um, maybe they have advisors and stuff, but they themselves are just like kind of goofy innovators, Um, geeks of their own sort, right? Mm -hmm. Product geeks, Uh, and you know it. It this pattern of M and A kept happening, such that people at the you know I was a consultant for Sea Level folks at big public firms and in CBG for, for about a decade before I left my old company. And, and they used to just, they just literally couldn't understand why their own companies couldn't create these businesses anymore internally. Um, and they stopped asking the question and started figuring out, well, how can we just buy better? <laughs> Cause yep. there were so many being created. They're like, well, screw it. We'll just buy them. <laughs> um, but then there's a shopping problem, right? Because now they're, they're everywhere. And, and the bank the banking world came in. Right before the great recession and right through it honestly and they just kept funding these companies rx bar you name it uh and so they became this frenzy and in the middle of that we were doing this research on you know what were the common characteristics of the brands and businesses that uh were able to grow to scale without the assets of a traditional company and that's mostly financial but it's also leverage right um, leverage with retailers, stuff like that. So, how do these deleveraged, cash poor companies yeah. pull this off? Um, because the money they were getting in investment isn't really a lot of money. I mean, it was to the founders, but it's not a lot of money to craft. So, what we discovered was that the route to scale that these guys were pulling off was this growth curve that basically, I mean, business strategists have known about it and people have written about it in textbooks. Uh, in fact, it's buried in some business school textbooks. Um, and it's it's this exponential curve uh, that looks like a quarter pipe ramp, whether at the snowboard park or, or the skateboard park, which is where I got the metaphor from. And it's an exponential curve mathematically. So at the beginning of the curve, you're, you aren't really adding a lot of scale very much, but you are doubling every year off a small base. And so it's that sort of shallow part of the skate Mm round that I talk about in the book. And it doesn't look like you're achieving much. Like if you stare, if you're far away, you you don't notice what's going on, which is sort of what's true with the big companies, right? They're like, eh, whatever. Some stupid little natural brand. We don't care about them. Um, And then what happens, but by the time, and they're doubling every year, right? Off the small base. And then by the time you let about five, seven years pass, suddenly the doubling is massive. Then suddenly, literally in two years, there's suddenly there's this hundred million dollar thing that's taken your market share, but it's still growing. And now, (laughs) now you have to react, right? If you're really slow. And so the book was designed to help then our corporate clients identify these guys mathematically, but also through the design DNA that they possessed. So, So what we were really working on with them was what were the kinds of, um, and here we go with the anthropology what was the symbolism especially the health and wellness symbolism that was more likely to uh, drive exponential growth without a lot of other advantages and so that's the work we did for them not all of that is in the book but a bunch of it is and in the book that I wrote um, and it was inspired, I mean, the book and my, my current career was inspired by that work because I, I basically, was getting bored doing the traditional corporate consulting thing. I was also getting bored answering the same question, which was like, why can't you grow? Why can't we grow a business internally? And the answer, of course, is not one that I, a marketing consultant, can help anyone with. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> the, the problem is called bureaucracy mm. <laughs> and I can't restructure your bureaucracy because you didn't, that's not what I do. <laughs> so right. so stop asking me this question. I can't solve. Um, and I'm, I'm a bit of an Aspie as you might imagine, as a lot of people are get PhDs. So when I am asked stupid questions, I can't answer. I really get angry. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I become unpolite. <laughs> so, yeah, nice. so I realized I had to go find a productive place. For this knowledge and that was well let me go work for the companies that can make a use of this right here companies that don't know about the best practices that need to know about them and let me help apply them and so that's what i do now i wrote the book to get that knowledge out there so if you just want to do it yourself i'm not offended um <laughs> but if you read the first 100 pages you probably won't want to do it yourself <laughs> so yeah. you'll probably want to give me a call at some point <laughs> um and because some of these puzzles are pretty complex trying to figure out how to create a symbolic communication that's effective clean focused um and honestly it's just how not to to clutter the your consumer audience's mind with a bunch of silly stuff Um, which is very common with people who are new uh to consumer marketing they tend to Like I say, in my book, they tend to geek out on their own thing that gets reflected the packaging, how they talk. They seem to be talking to people like themselves all of this is bad. (laughs) None of this leads to a good place. It's sort of like, imagine if you were like an R and D scientist at Kraft Heinz, like you're basically a biochemist. Mm -hmm. You don't want those people coming up with the innovation idea or marketing it to anybody. No, because their only thing they're going to do is talk. They're literally going to drown them in. Well, the Brix value of this nutrition bar is three point eight, which is versus the other <laughs> bar made of oatmeal is you know two point nine seven, and the, that differential, so you've lost them, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just like, so it's not that they don't know anything important. They do because without the our without the chemist, the food scientist, you can't actually, you actually can't write down a scientific formula that creates a manufacturable. A uniformly manufacturable substance, like literally that's the same, <laughs> yeah. um, over 100 million units or 200 million units. Um, it's not easy. So, But they don't know how to talk to people. Right. They're geeks. Sure. So yeah. geeks are bad, yeah. right? Yeah. And right. I am one, so I get to
0: say that. Sure. And and, and, they're, just, <laughs> and, and, and they're probably just too close to it, right? It's, yes. It's too near and dear to their heart. They're just so committed in it that, that they've got obviously bias and, and, and blind spots, yep. like, 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 like crazy. Um, <laughs> exactly. Interesting. So can you give me an example? We talked about what was, the, what's the symbolism of, of these companies? Can, can you break that down a little bit more or give me some examples?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I think this is where I am. I have created an unholy marriage, an unholy arranged marriage. But since I studied South Asia, I get to say that yeah. uh, an unholy arranged marriage between uh, linguistic anthropology, which I'm obviously trained in, most American anthropologists are have very linguistically biased. But I also have a lot of training in symbolic analysis. I've married that academic weirdness with uh, traditional uh, benefit analysis of, you know, the American market association, right. Or any MBA in marketing and in consumer packaged goods, there's this thing called the benefit or the need state is what they'll call it at big companies, just so they can sound (laughs) pseudo-academic. It's really a benefit. Um, I use the word outcome, uh, just to be a little more scientific. Um, but the reality is that I, after 20 years working with big companies, I was just aghast at sort of the amount of bizarre overthink that happens at those big companies around their own symbolism, like their own packaging and stuff. Um, Whereas I, as a social scientist, was like, God, dang, these people are so, they're way too close to this stuff. They, um, They need to step back and really, they need to hang out in like a kitchen where their thing is eaten. And they'll see what the real you know, attention span is for their package symbolism, right? So um, this marriage I've created analytically is simply, I'll give you an example here in a bit, is just a way to simplify for folks how humans actually receive the symbolism in a in a, like a packaged food or packaged beverage. And uh, it's based on a very simple idea, which is <laughs> probably 2000 years old, which is that when humans acquire objects in, in social in complex societies like ours, I don't care whether it's a car or it's a box of potato ch- or bag of potato chips or whatever a cell phone. Um, in modern society becomes, it becomes it comes wrapped in a trademark branded thing and it describes what it is and then it has some symbolism on it which tells you some more that someone the, the uh, that the owner thinks you should know about right Now that's the game. The game is what's on the package that you should care about, that I think you should care about as the owner and maker. And then there's what you actually care about. <laughs> so there's this communication problem. And the, the one thing you learn in, when you study human societies, especially when you study human social interaction, which I've done before, is that, and your listeners will appreciate that, this is that there isn't anything called 100% perfect human communication. That's just a myth, right?
0: Sure.
1: So all communication is partial. (laughs) So there's this question of what is the package saying symbolically? What symbols and messages does it contain? What hidden messages does it contain? And what, what is the consumer receiving and acting on now? That's a multi-stage process of filtering. Mm -hmm. This is all glossed over though, by traditional marketers. And what they do is just fuss on the, they fuss on what they want to say. And it'll be endless meetings. Right? And actually, I've found that early stage companies aren't that different. They will also overthink it. And in, what they're not doing is spending time putting like a draft out there and then seeing, well, what, what are the consumers doing with my thing? Like, how do they behave with it? How right. do they use it like a person? And then decoding from the usage behavior what you should be saying on the package. So this is basically one of the key things I do with all my clients when they start working for me is – We do some consumer research, I make them do some, (laughs) I help them interpret it and then we, we apply it. And so, you know, what I do is, uh, behavior based business strategy, essentially, which is supposed to be normal, uh, like a normative thing in consumer packaged goods. But I can tell you it's not, um, just because of the way those, the big companies function and it's actually not going on with early stage companies to my horror which is what I found out when I, when I went out on my own, which is that they weren't actually talking enough to their consumers either, which I found really odd. <laughs> so if you read my book, I, I kind of I slapped the collective wrist of startup world. <laughs> and I'm like, guys, there's like eight people at your company. Right. Um, you're out there at farmer's markets. Maybe you should talk to these people not just try to sell them. They're literally right in front of you. I'm like, do you know how much Kraft Heinz pays to get in front of consumers? Well, they have, because of the way they're run, they have to go to a third party professional full service firm. They have to pay $200,000 and they have to, (laughs) it's this enormous process, right? You literally don't have to do anything other than listen. (laughs) So, um, and you know, the funny thing is, guess who, guess who grows exponentially? Invariably, with a few exceptions, people like Dan Lebetsky founded Kindbar. These are people who listen to their consumers, you know, and Dan actually, I don't know, he's talked in a few places publicly, wasn't necessarily the best listener, hmm. right? Because he's actually a classically trained MBA management consultant, like the worst possible person to become a founder, right? Because <laughs> they're, they're type A control freaks. And someone told them they're really smart, really dangerous. I can tell you that for a fact. Someone told them too many times that they're really smart and people like that, and yours truly included, they tend to a little too cocky with their ability to figure it out on their own, like in a vacuum, Mm -hmm. you know? None of this bodes well, right? But he kind had built such a, I think he had built such a good culture in terms of we're going to learn from the data, right? And, you know, his field sales guys are coming in and saying that their early consumers were all yoga teachers, like on the West Coast. Right. And so they jumped on that and they started creating field marketing programs. They started turning them into marketing assistants. Hmm. And I mean like hundreds and thousands of them. So, and this is what got that thing going for very little money, other than like basically just free cases of product. I love it. So, you know, if you listen, you can find out, Hmm this subpopulation really likes my thing. Why? Oh, if I listen some more, I can figure that out. And then if I figure that out, actually, now I know what it should be on my damn package. Now I know what my marketing campaign should be about. And it shouldn't just be a giant chest beating exercise, right? Which is, as I say to my clients who are like really cocky millennials, I'm like, guys, I love your mojo, but you know, <laughs> you're not lays when you have a $4 billion brand, you get to hire a Madison Avenue agency and it's just your logo dancing around with pretty women and then it ends. No story, no argument. Right. You're Lays. The only reason you have an ad is to remind people that, oh yeah, I ran out of Lays. <laughs> 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 you haven't
0: achieved that yet. Yeah.
1: You, don't, you have not earned that.
0: It simply must be way more complicated than uh, paying attention to who's actually consuming your product. And I love how you talked about how these people should be hanging out in a kitchen where it's actually being eaten. And that is the the research you really ought to be doing. So I love it. Well, James, Savage Nation is ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them?
1: Whatever long-term goal you set for yourself, uh, just understand that you have to uh, you have to ignore the ups and downs in the first couple of years um, and push through because that's when everyone's going to tell you to quit and give it up including yourself um, and it's just like the exponential growth ramp in my book if you wait just long enough things will eventually take off but if you don't if you're not willing to persist then it you're going to create your own failure in life
0: well I think that that is great stuff that definitely gets come on come on <laughs> James, thank you so much for coming on where can people, Savage Nation learn more about you where can they get a copy of the book
1: well definitely you can go to Amazon.com right now and just type in Ramping Your Brand it's highly indexed 81 reviews and counting So, um, and uh, it is going to be on sale for the next couple of days around the air date of the show and uh, if they're interested in my company you can learn more about what I do at Premium Growth solutions.com or just type dr james richardson into google
0: perfect well savage nation if you enjoyed this as much as i did show james your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas pick up a copy of ramping your brand wherever fine books are sold and type in premium growth or just google dr james richardson thanks again james
1: thank you very much george
0: and until next time Keep fighting the good fight we are all in this together.